Hey, welcome to Claim the Stage, a podcast for women who want to discover, awaken, and create their voice through the art of public speaking. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also an author, speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. Welcome back to Claim the Stage. It has been a while. <laughs> since recording an episode. I think the last time I cracked the mic was in June. Now it's October. That whole guest mentor summer series I recorded in May of, la- of uh, earlier this year. So it's good to be back. It's been um, a really, I don't even know the word to describe the summer. Um, full of life lessons, lots of struggles, just a whole new life, I guess. And I was hoping to come back to the podcast with an episode about maternity leave, but I totally feel unprepared to talk about it. And I want to make sure that I can talk about it from a place of learning and growth. And right now I'm still just really inside of it. So we'll get back to that later. And I just wanted to let you know that's coming. And today what we're doing is kicking off a four episode series about our new book called Secrets of the Sisterhood. And what it is, is a compilation book of speeches that were submitted by Speaker Sisterhood members um, over the course of... um, Any member, really, that has been with us since 2016 could submit a speech that they gave in their club. And then Lauren Simmons, who's going to be on today's episode, and I went through the speeches together, and we chose the 45 that will be featured in the book. And today you're going to hear two of the speeches. One of them is hers, and one of them is mine. And I don't know, maybe we're biased, but we liked our speeches, and so (laughs) we were like, we're going to put these in there. And we're going to talk, too, about how we put this book together, because neither one of us have made a book like this before, and we just kind of figured it out as we went, and we wanted to share some of the things we learned and maybe help you if you ever had a thought about creating a similar kind of book. So before we get into that, we're going to start off with hearing Lauren's speech, and then I'm going to interview her a little bit about what that, why she, you know, told the speech and, and everything that we're you're about to hear, and then I'll read my speech. So, Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm always <laughs> excited to sit down and talk with you. Yeah, it's really it's really nice to see you. I haven't seen you in months. I know. Which I is know. weird, because we, we used to see each other a lot. I know. It's funny what happens when you have a baby, right? <laughs> I know. Things, things change. They do. They do. So, I'm really glad that you're here, and I'm glad to be talking about this with you, and before we jump into your speech, can you just tell everyone when you joined Speaker Sisterhood, what you do, and why you decided to join? Sure. I joined in October 2017. Um, I, I met you at a women's conference uh, shortly before that. And the reason I joined, I'm, I'm a writer and an editor, and I'm freelancing. But even, even before I started freelancing, I was uh, an editor and a writer for websites, and I've spent years writing for other people and writing their thoughts and their subjects and writing about things that are important to them. And I came to realize that <clears throat> I had sort of lost a sense of my own voice. So when we were having a conversation and you told me about Speaker Sisterhood, about finding your voice, uh, clubs where you can discover who you are again, uh, on, on the road to public speaking, whether or not you want to speak on a stage or just, you know, 
be more comfortable in, in any given setting, whether it's at work or in your personal life. It really appealed to me uh, to be in a community of women who were looking inward and wanting to explore who they were. And I think that for me, I, I had lost a sense of that. And this has been a way for me to, to reacquaint myself with myself. And today's speech will be an example of that. Yes, yes. It, well, uh, it, this was, uh, I, I can't remember which, no, which number speech it was, but it was, it was the truth speech. So That's the second. The second speech. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into it. What's the title? It's called Eye of the Beholder. All right. <clears throat> All right. Here we go. Most of us, having grown up in a civil society, were taught to tell the truth, as if there's only one truth to tell. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Anyone who's watched episodes of Perry Mason or Law and Order knows that line. But if you look in the eye of the beholder, you'll find truth cuddled up right next to beauty. Those courtroom, courtroom dramas would also have us believe that truth is immutable, but it's not. Truth is a sneaky little shapeshifter. To illustrate, let me share a simple truth about myself. My mother first fed me eggs when I was six months old, and I spit that nastiness right back at her. At breakfast, I'd barricade myself behind cereal boxes so I wouldn't have to look at runny egg yolks. My disgust for eggs was so woven into my family's tapestry that I once called my sister, who was living in Saudi Arabia at the time, at 3 a.m., at a dollar a minute, just to announce that I had eaten a hard-boiled egg. Her response? Who are you, and what have you done with my sister? Now, this was not merely a case of a child's limited palate. I passionately hated certain foods deep into adulthood. Coffee, broccoli, beets, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, any kind of fish, unless it was breaded, deep-fried, and swimming in tartar sauce. I don't know why, but in my 40s, that all changed, just like that. Coffee? Yum. Eggs? Yeah, baby. Fried Brussels sprouts? Who knew? The change was fast, it was shocking, and, quite frankly, a bit worrisome. At the rate I was going, I'd be smoking cigarettes and sleeping with men in no time. Now, you've probably heard the expression that change is the only constant in life, right? We can thank a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus for that. Yep, Heraclitus. Yes, I'm pronouncing it wrong, and no, I don't care. And we should be grateful that what's true for a person can and does change over the course of a lifetime. But we all have core truths, innate characteristics, or deeply held values that don't change. The things that make us who we are. For example, I will never smoke cigarettes, and the men here in the 413 can all rest easy. I will not be chasing them. Our core truths can be noble and inspiring, or they can be messy and complicated. Others can be crippling. I started out by sharing one of my simple truths. Here's one that's a bit more complicated. I am an extrovert with an inferiority complex. It's quite the dichotomy. How does it play out? My engaging and upbeat demeanor masks an almost paralyzing fear that I am not enough, talented enough, skilled enough, capable enough. I look at an artist or listen to a musician, and because I don't have that talent, I am less than. I look at an entrepreneur or a C CEO, 
And because I don't have that ambition, I'm lacking. Now here's the kicker. I'm an extrovert, and words come easily to me. But I don't recognize that as a valuable skill. Every other writer is better, and no one wants to hire me, says the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad voice in my head, despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary. External praise cannot fill this empty vessel. The question I ask myself is this. What's the difference between an immutable core truth and a limiting belief? I've read Louise Hay. I've worshipped at the altar of Brene Brown. Does the answer simply lie in the eye of this beholder? Is there room for inferiority to snuggle up with beauty and truth? As I wrestle with these questions, I remind myself that many of my truths have changed over time. Is it too much to hope that inferiority might someday join the ranks of eggs and coffee? <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, I love that one. How does it feel to read that? Well, it's it's interesting, you know. I would like to say that I've overcome all of those <laughs> issues, but I haven't. It's part of who I am, and it's it's a challenge that I deal with, if not every day, frequently. But I think that being able to put it into words and have it coalesce helped me understand myself better and helped me move forward. And I think that that's one of the values that I find in, in Speaker Sisterhood and being a member is that uh, it's, it's exploratory, right? It encourages us to explore ourselves and to be our authentic selves. And sometimes that's terrifying. But for me, there is a strength that comes from that. And there's a strength doing it for myself. But there's also a strength in watching my sisters do it in the club. And I'm constantly amazed at their strength and perseverance and resilience, their willingness to be vulnerable. And they're extremely funny, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> there's lots of laughing. It's not all doom and gloom here, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it's, it's been a really wonderful experience. It's been challenging. I don't always feel like going to my club meetings. You know, it brings up a lot of stuff. But whenever I go, I always feel better. And I'm always amazed at our similarities. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we, we have different issues, but we are so much more the same in, in that we all struggle with something. The struggles may be different. We're all at different places and different cycles and how we're dealing with them and we all have something to say and I think that that was something that was really um illuminating for me because I've never thought I had anything worth saying but I do and I need to remind myself of that and this club helps me remember that mm -hmm. that we all have something worth saying our lives are important and our voices are important and if we support each other in doing that we can make change it may be on a cellular level, it may be on a very local level, but that, those changes have ripple effects. And the more that we do them and the more women speak and the more women find the courage to say what's true for them, I think the better off we all will be as a, as a human race. Yeah. Did you have any fears around sharing this story in particular? Hmm. Well, I mean, you know, it's... You know, to, to think about people who might want to hire me, hear me talk about 
how I'm a bundle of nerves every time I write something or wonder whether I could do something. You know, that, that was a little nerve wracking, but, uh, but no, I think that, uh, I think, I don't know if Dorothy Parker ever said this, but she, this quote is often attributed to her. And that is, I love having written. (laughs) Right. Yeah. For me and for many other people I know, writers, I know writing is excruciating. So I am learning, albeit slowly, to embrace that and to try and trust myself more in the process that, you know, that it is a process and that the end result is really good. At least uh, that's what, that's what the people who hire me tell me. They're, they're pleased, you know, so. Well, I've hired you many times over the last two years and I, have, I hear you talk about yourself, and then I see the product of your writing or editing my pieces, and I'm always amazed at what you put together and how different it is from your self-perception. And I, I realize you're living the experience of writing and doing this, and I'm just seeing it from the outside, but it doesn't ever deter me from hiring you. Well, that's great to hear. <laughs> that's great to hear. Thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that that's, that's an interesting perspective, and I don't know where that split happens or why it happens it it exists and it's learning to manage it and to negotiate it and to trust myself more so these are all things that come out of the club these are all things that I get support for in the club I love the club yeah thanks um what do you hope the audience will get from this story I I I think that it's that we all feel vulnerable in some aspect of our life and that that's okay. That perfection isn't the goal. Progress is the goal. Mm-hmm. Or at least it's my goal. You in the listening audience, you can have your own goal. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if you see yourself reflected, that's great. If you don't, that's okay because you understand someone else's perspective and what they're going through. And I think that that was leading back to the book and reading all of the speeches, I didn't relate personally to everyone, but I learned from everyone. And and that was really remarkable. Mm-hmm. I think what I get from your speech is that you can always grow and you can always change. And you're, you can be one person one day, but you can always work on becoming a different person the next day. And even if my story isn't the same as yours, that message rings true for me, too. That's a really uh, succinct way of putting it. That's great. Thank you. That's helpful. Yeah, I mean, we we are beings that are changing constantly, you know. And I think that being open to that is the first step. Yeah. And you have another speech in the book. (laughs) <laughs> glory hog yes 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 i do so uh, we won't talk about it here it'll be part of the the secret the, the surprise when when listeners get their book um so why don't we jump into my speech let's do that and then we'll talk more about the book should i say anything first now you're interviewing me <laughs> i just turned it around um all right. Well, Angela, you wrote a story, a speech that, that we put in the book. And, and just so you know, <laughs> folks, we each sent 
our speeches to each other and said, do you think it should go in? And we each read each other's story. And then, now, granted, you're not going to tell tell the person who's paying your money, no, your speech sucks, it can't be in the book. But I, fortunately, I didn't have to because it doesn't. Um, so, Angela, why don't you, why don't you read the speech that you wrote for the book? Okay. All right, the title is You Have Placenta Brain. <laughs> Two days ago, I received both amazing news and devastating news. I had my 20-week pregnancy ultrasound coupled with my monthly midwife appointment. My ultrasound went great. I learned my baby was growing normally and his heartbeat was perfect. That was the amazing news. After the ultrasound, I met with a midwife and she asked if I had any questions. Yes, I said. Why am I so dumb and forgetful right now? The midwife laughed and said, oh, you have placenta brain. Confused by her answer, I gave her a quizzical look. Can you explain what that means? A lot of your mental energy is going toward creating a person, so you only have about half as much brain activity available for the things you normally do, she said. If you're used to working 10 hours in a day, try cutting that down to 5 hours. She said that so nonchalantly, you'd think she just explained the difference between shorts and pants. I, however, did not take her answer lightly. That was the devastating news. It meant I had to cut all the things I love to do in half, and because my brain was not as available, I wouldn't do them as well. I think of myself as a creator and a doer, and suddenly that part of my identity was being taken from me. I felt lost. I walked out of that appointment a different person. I didn't know myself anymore, and I was really concerned about what it meant for the rest of my pregnancy and the rest of my life. Yesterday, I got an email from a local professor inviting me to speak to his entrepreneurship class. Normally, I'd say yes in a heartbeat, but my first thought was, I can't. I have placenta brain. I declined his request and told him why I couldn't do as much right now. He responded kindly and said, congratulations, here's a link to a really great parenting book. A couple hours later, a friend who runs a year-long mastermind group for CEOs called and invited me to join for the upcoming session. I told him I couldn't do it because I'm pregnant and needed to conserve my energy. He responded by telling me his favorite parenting advice. Yesterday hit me hard. I saw my new reality, saying no to lots of things I really want to do. Even my conversations were changing. People didn't recommend TED Talks and business books. They pointed me toward parenting advice. What was happening? The person I spent my whole life with was changing, a lot, and quickly. I didn't know her anymore, and that was terrifying. I woke up at 5 a.m. this morning thinking about today's speech. It's my keynote, the final speech in the Speaker Sisterhood curriculum. I wanted to reference the nine previous speeches, so I listened to the recordings I had of each one. Starting at the beginning, I listened to the love speech I gave about my mom. The speech made me cry. I decided to listen to my second speech immediately. Tears continued streaming down my face. I listened to all nine speeches I delivered from the Secret Life of Speaking Up curriculum back-to-back and cried through every single one. I cried because the speeches were 100% me. I really heard myself. I heard my creativity, my perspective, my humor, my style, and my voice. I thought, this is who I am. Even though I'm having a baby, I'm not changing from this person. I'm just adding a new dimension to my life. I'm not tearing down the house. I'm building on an addition. It was so reassuring because I was lost in new baby world. Yes, it was only a 48-hour identity crisis, but I really felt like I didn't know how to reconcile these two parts harmoniously without one eating the other. 
The recordings helped me realize that the person who gave those speeches is the same person who will be a mom. I don't need to be superhuman, and I can get better at doing only what's important to me. It was an extremely freeing realization. I'm so glad I recorded my speeches. Now I have an Angela archive I can always revisit, especially when everything's covered in poop and I feel like I'm losing my mind. I can listen to the speech I gave about the three words people use to describe me, or go back to my speech about how I came up with my motto, stop waiting, start creating. It's all there, and it's all me. It will always be me, and I will also be a mom. Yay! <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> yes. So, one of the things that struck me about your speech was how that's a perspective I've never heard. I mean, I've had, I've had lots of friends who have had babies, but I've never heard them talk about, well, placenta brain specifically, but more in general, the sense of losing part of their identity in it or being taken over by something else. So um, I, I found that really interesting. Yeah, actually, I had never heard anyone talk about that either. So I was like, what's wrong with me? Has... I read a lot of parenting books and pregnancy books and blogs and listened to podcasts. And this was a topic that I didn't hear come up. So I thought I couldn't possibly be the only person dealing with this identity crisis. And once I talked about it, I found other women who also felt that way, but didn't really feel comfortable sharing it. Oh, interesting. Good. Because for a minute there, I was going to say, maybe that woman was lying to you. <laughs> maybe she just felt like having fun. <laughs> just kidding. But, um, all right. So why did you want to tell the story? It, it was really scary and it was really real. And it felt like it was exactly where I was in that moment in time. And it felt like something I needed to say out loud to people, not only to reassure myself, but to also just share with the audience what it's like to go through change and accept change and recognize that transformations, uh, even though they're scary, they, there's a lot to be learned from them. And I, I wrote that speech in about 20 minutes like two hours before I gave it. And I think it came out so quickly because it was, it was all in there in that moment. It all came together after I listened to all the other speeches and had synthesized the last couple of days and kind of put it all together and realized like, I'm going to be fine. And this is an important message because sometimes it can feel like this isn't going to be fine. <laughs> this is going to be a, this is going to be hard <laughs> and it was hard, but it's okay. It sounds like it could go and be applied to things other than having a baby. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anytime your identity is shifting, whether it's going from having a full-time job to becoming a freelancer or a business owner, yeah, or if your, your kids are going off to college and now you're an empty nester and you've got all this time on your hands, or going through a divorce, any of these things that shift your, your life significantly create a shift in your identity. And it's a real thing, I think, to reconcile and to pay attention to. And I've been thinking about identity so much because my identity has changed so much <laughs> in the last three or four months. Right. From having a baby. Let's just... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would do it. <laughs> so, um, 
one of the questions you asked me is, what is story telling your stories done for you? So, I mean, you know, can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, I know that, you know, you probably get asked that question a lot, but I think it's really worth uh, talking about again. As someone who is so well-versed in giving speeches and, and, and so experienced, but still, what does it do for you? Well, when I first started telling stories about 10 years ago, when I started speaking, I realized really quickly that people liked what I had to say. And it was shocking to me because I was like, I don't think I really have anything valuable to say, but I want to try this and I think I could get better at it. But even when I was new, people would come up to me and say, wow, you really changed my mind about this or I really appreciate you sharing that story. That was really meaningful. You said exactly what I was thinking. And so just from that first, I guess, first phase of getting into storytelling, I started to realize like, I have something to say. And that's a really big moment because so many of us think we don't. And then the next phase was realizing that not only were these stories healing and helpful for the audience, but they're also healing me by sharing them. And they made me more confident in myself and they made me feel stronger in my struggles and in my experiences and my beliefs because I could, everyone in the audience could hear themselves in the stories too. And I realized I'm not that weird and I'm really not as unique as I thought and it helped me to feel more connected to people and now what it does is it helps to inspire people and it helps them to see what they what could be possible and if they continue on their journeys and so I love that storytelling can do all of those things yeah I think one of the real advantages to it is that uh it makes us all feel more connected and less alone yeah that's huge I think that's the mark of a good story, too. So I continue to do it because I think it, it's so important. And that's the reason that we have this book. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to move on to the book? Sure. Why not? Okay. I Just to give some background, I've been running Speaker Sisterhood for three years now, and from probably the second month of running the company, I started thinking about how I could get these stories that are being told in the clubs on a bigger stage or out into the world in another way because I felt so moved by the speakers and their vulnerability and their courage, and I felt so inspired by them, and I would leave every meeting feeling like, you know, on cloud nine and just so um, filled up that I wanted to figure out a way to share the love with more people. And I thought, I want to have a book where people can submit their speeches and then we can sell the book to everybody. And then everybody can hear or read these stories that I got to be inspired by. But having a startup, there's like 500 other things to do before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two things two things have to come first. Sequencing is essential. Yeah, so I just filed it away in the back of my mind and it probably came up hundreds of times, you know, just sitting in the meetings thinking, I can't wait to do this book. I can't wait to do this book. And finally, this year was the time to do it. And I, so I thought of you, Lauren, immediately to be my co-conspirator in <laughs> building the book because I love the way that you approach projects. I love the way that you edit. I thought we could really build something really special together. 
And so I asked Lauren to be part of it. I didn't really have any idea of what that would mean, but I knew that I wanted her to be the editor. <laughs> and we just, like, figured it out as we went. Yeah, we made it up as we went along. Yeah, so I want to know, when you first heard about the project, what did you think of it? Well, you know, I wanted to just slap my forehead and my hand to my forehead and go, of course! <laughs> you know, it's just like... You have a knack of stating something that you want to do, and it's like, why didn't I think of that? You know, it's it was perfect. It, it it made it made perfect sense because for exactly the reasons you say, hearing those stories, hearing those speeches, reading that, feeling inspired, feeling moved, and encouraged to to get that out to as many people as possible is just a, an incredible privilege to be able to be part of that to help do that that's how I feel too yeah and so we decided we were going to have a submission window that uh, members current and inactive members could submit a speech up to three speeches over the course I think it was a month a month and a half um, earlier this year and we had an online submission system set up and started collecting those speeches and by the end of the window we had 79 75 75 75 speeches and we didn't really have a goal of how many we were going to accept we just wanted to make sure that it was quality over quantity really right yeah and it was quite a process going through them and and picking them out because um because because People, women put their heart and souls into these stories, you know, and, um, and, and you can, I, I felt it, everyone I read, I felt it, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, <laughs> there, it was hard to, to, to say, not this one, it was very hard, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, but you have to have, you have to, <laughs> you have to pick and choose, and, so, um, we, we, what did we do? We talked about the tone. We talked about wanting it to be something where women could see themselves reflected and not turn the narrative toward the reader. Yeah. Let the reader discover whether or not they saw themselves in the, in the book. So, that was, the, that was the ultimate goal. That was the ultimate goal. Yeah, and we didn't really want to focus so much on is this person an excellent writer, but more like what's the message and what's the story? Right, right. And what was the experience and and what's the emotion that, that gets pulled from it? And, and and as an editor, that was an interesting challenge because, you know, when you hear a speech or you give a speech, it's very different than when you read a speech. Yeah. So that was... Um, and I think I knew that intellectually going in, but... Uh, I initially thought that reading through the speeches would be the longest, would take the longest amount of time deciding, but it wasn't. It was editing them because I needed to edit so that it it it, it read smoothly and read well. But I felt I I felt such a deep abiding obligation to treat these stories with love and respect and to honor the stories of the women who were telling them. So it was really important that I that I be as gentle and hands off and and just sort of shape the story and try not to 
change the voice at all about what they were trying to say because that's that's essential and i and i i would like to think <laughs> that i that i achieved that and that, that we did that and uh we didn't get too many uh, people squawking at us so <laughs> no one squawked yeah yeah and i think we we were really intentional about the way we communicated why they didn't get into the book and also to resubmit next year. Right, right. And that's that's the beauty of it because there's so many wonderful stories left to tell and more coming. And I definitely encourage women to, to resubmit, to submit again. It's important. Yeah, because that's one of my other intentions for the book is to release this annually. And this is volume one, but I think we could have... 30, 50 volumes, just keep it going, one one a year, because there's so many more stories to tell and so many more stories that need to be shared. Uh, 50 more volumes, 50 years, you might have to find another editor of that one. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to keep you alive. We're going to keep you alive. <laughs> Cryogenics. You're like, can I just go now? No, we have another one to do. <laughs> well, maybe there was a reason to hang on. I heard people are living to 180 now. Isn't that the, that's the goal? The guy who invented bulletproof coffee was talking about it the other day. <laughs> well, <laughs> so stick around, okay? All right, all right. Um, what would you tell someone who else who wants to create a book like this? Know what you want. Know what you want. Know what your goal is, because otherwise you're you're going to get lost. You have to have an end goal and and, and a purpose. And if you don't, and I think that our purpose, your purpose, was to shine the spotlight on women's voices, their truth, their power, their love, and allow other readers to see themselves reflected or to learn from the process mm -hmm. and to let them speak for themselves. Why do you think it's important to get this out into the world right now? Because our voices are so important. Women in particular... To hear what's going on and to be to feel connected to a larger community. Right now, I mean, in, we're torn apart. So many people are stressed out, torn apart, exhausted, and struggling. And that's in everyday lives. And I think, you know, everyone, uh, we go about our, our lives comparing our insides to other people's outsides, which is, you know, a recipe for disaster. But when we have a place where we can read about people going through things that are similar to what we're going through and prevailing and changing and striving and moving forward. That, that gave me hope. I mean, when I was reading some of these, I, I have anxiety. And there are, there are a couple of pieces in the book that, wrote, that addressed anxiety. And initially, some of those were really hard for me to read. They, they, they pushed some buttons. But ultimately, it was like, I'm not alone. And I am constant, was constantly amazed at the willingness of, of these women to look inward, to really examine and question and, and try and, and grow. And I think so many areas in in life right now are are hard angled and 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 roadblocks to have something a book that you can read and go to and feel inspired and feel hope and feel love and feel kindness 
and be infused by that. Those are the kinds of things, that, anyway, that are sustaining me through trying times. And I think that this book can do that for anyone. Bravo. I mean, I can't say it better than that. That's, that's exactly what, what we're aiming for. Yeah. And there's another element of this book we haven't talked about yet, and that is that it's a fundraiser. Finest kind. Yeah. Um, this 50% of the profits from the book will go toward the scholarship fund for Speaker Sisterhood. So any woman who wants to join who finds that doesn't have the extra funds to be a member that annual fee will now be covered by the scholarship fund, um, you know, after a short application. But I'm really excited about this opportunity because I have, you know, heard stories of women who wanted to join but, you know, weren't able to pay the fee, and now we'll be able to help with that. So this is exciting to not only tell the stories but also encourage more women to join and hopefully not have that barrier. Right, and I think that, that that's one of the things that excited me about the project because – Making Speaker Sisterhood available to as many women as possible is really important, and I and I really respect that there is a scholarship fund for that because you you know you're you're putting your money where your mouth is, and to be cliche, <laughs> I don't need a grammar check. I need a cliche check. <laughs> okay, but but that, that mean that means something to me. That means something to me to to help make this experience that is so powerful and so affirming more available to a wider range of women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the whole, the whole project gets me excited. Buy the book. Yeah. It comes out on black Friday. It'll be 50% off that day. I'll be sharing the promo code in upcoming episodes as we continue talking further about the book. The next three episodes, I'm going to be interviewing women who submitted speeches for the book and asking them questions about the story behind the speech. And you'll get to hear more about what it was like for them to deliver that speech and what it meant to them and how it's helped to shape them. So anything else you want to add, Lauren, to this episode? Oh well, I can't think of it, think of anything except that um, I love working with you, and I love Speaker Sisterhood, and I hope that that people read the book and enjoy the magic. Yeah, <laughs> I love working with you too. All right, thanks for being part of the adventure. You bet. And as always, friends, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.